What I want to tell you at the start of this sermon this morning is that we're actually going to have an opportunity for some questions at the end of it. Uh, So if on the way through you have some questions, please jot them down, uh, maybe on the back of your card so you don't forget, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to uh, ask some questions to clarify uh, once I've had a chance to finish uh, the sermon today. Well, Tamara's prayed a great prayer for us, so I don't need to pray again. I'm going to dive right in. Uh, Thank you for that, Tamara. We're continuing our series in Ephesians, and we're up to the back end of Ephesians uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, as has just been read for us by Tim. It'd be great if you can have that open uh, in the Bible in front of you, uh, because we'll be working through those verses from chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 21, uh, through to the end of that chapter, verse 33. So the aim of our Ephesians series, it's been called Deeper in the Risen Jesus, and we've been diving deeper, we've been learning more about Jesus, and we've been seeing his plan. As we've got deeper and deeper, uh, today we've got to the point where we're up to marriage. And as I dive deep here, I sort of, I found this sign, I thought it was uh, a little bit appropriate. Uh, Warning, warning, danger, danger. Uh, I'm about to speak about marriages. Why is that? dangerous uh, for me to do? Well, I could think of four reasons. Maybe not physically dangerous, although there was an interesting article in the paper yesterday about a gathering of Christians that was closed because of threats of violence. I'm hoping that won't be the case. But here's here's four reasons I think it's at least a risky thing to do, talk about marriage in this day and age. Firstly, uh, firstly, uh, divorce. Uh, Many of us will be touched by divorce in this day and age. And whether it's us personally, and there'll be people sitting here today for whom that's the case, or in close proximity, you've, you've journeyed with someone that you know and love who's gone through that incredible pain and heartbreak uh, up close. And so speaking about the wonderful ideal of marriage can seem a long way away from the heartache and the pain uh, that you've experienced either firsthand or help someone through yourself. The second reason is uh, domestic violence. We're we're going to speak today about a word that has been used very unhelpfully. I don't want to to back away from what's here, but I want to acknowledge the reality uh, that we have a world around us where power and inequality in marriage relationships leads to dreadful outcomes. And so you might know about that personally. Or you may be in very close proximity to someone you're helping through that sort of, uh, that sort of deep water. Thirdly, there are discussions that are happening in our society at the moment about same-sex marriage. And you might be having them in a public place, or you might be having them privately with someone who struggles with this particular issue. Uh, it's an issue that is highly fractious. Uh, when we have the leader of the opposition telling us that to even discuss it could potentially cause young people to commit suicide, uh, we really are in deep waters, aren't we? So these discussions make this sermon in particular dangerous at some level. And lastly, there's a diversity of our experience. Uh, Some of us here today will be single through choice. And so a marriage sermon... Uh, You think, how how do I apply that? What do I do with it? Some of us will not be single by choice, but be here on their own, either through the death of a spouse or through abandonment of a partner. As we talk about marriage, we're talking about deep 
waters. We're talking about heart matters. We're talking about things that are the highest order. And so this morning, I start this sermon in this way, with trepidation. I don't want to not speak about it. It's the next part of our working through Ephesians, but I want to do so carefully. And so this morning, if you're struggling, uh, or if you find this topic tough, I actually want to pray now before we go further that we might know something of God's help and God's healing. So how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, you have before us this morning a great topic. And yet, Lord, living this side of the fall, in a world that's wrecked by sin and selfishness and betrayal and heartache, Father, we know this morning that this topic can be incredibly difficult. I ask now, Father, that you would help us to hear the goodness of what you have to say, that you would begin your healing process in our own marriages, in the marriages of those around us, Father, and in our own hearts. Help us, we pray today, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, with that being said, let's jump in. If there weren't enough dangers, and I've listed four there, then we hear the word in verse 21, if you've got it before you, submit. And when we hear the word submit, I mean, if I just took a quick, what's the first word that pops into your head, word association game with that word, we, we might hear words like this. Tyrant, inferior, enemy, or inflicted. It's not a word that we would naturally fill with anything good, I think. Is that right? Can anyone think of a really positive uh, association with submit? I submit my leave form for holidays. Is that... Uh, Peter, you are going to have one? I submit to the Lord. Beautiful, and that will actually underpin exactly what we're doing today. So that's great. Thank you, Peter. Uh, generally, though, we, we kind of just naturally tilt this direction and go, gracious, we're going to be in trouble today with this word on view. And it's exactly the reason Stuart, I, th- I imagine, found uh, Ephesians 5 is the passage that they look at and then decide, no, we don't want that one uh, in, our, in our wedding service. So, uh, but submit, but then we've got, we've got verse 21. So, and, and isn't verse 21 actually a really good start. Uh, Have a look at it here. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that a good verse? Well, I think we have to absolutely say, yes, it's a great verse. Uh, It's an absolutely brilliant verse. But I want us to think very carefully about it this morning as we start to dive in to a fuller explanation of what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's think of what is addressed here in this section. Uh, From uh, 21 through to 6 verse 9, uh, we've got a section where Paul is talking about how households are to relate. And so he talks about slaves and masters. He says, slaves, you are to submit to your masters. And then he says, children, you are to submit to your parents. And all the parents quietly go, no, they don't at all. They're just... Stunned. No, we are. We're very excited about that one. Children, submit to your parents. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's really interesting because the one anothering, submit to one another, it's interesting because when you actually read through from 21 to 6 9, here's what you don't see you don't see masters being told to submit to their slaves. You don't see parents being told to submit to their children, although our world would tell us something very odd about that at the moment, wouldn't it? 
And interestingly enough, you don't see husbands being told to submit to their wives. But before you get angry at me, just bear with me, bear with me. Here's what it does say. It does say that masters are to absolutely love and care for and do what's best for their slaves. It says parents are supposed to not exasperate their children. It says that husbands are to love, devotedly serve their wives. All I want to do is observe that the submit to one another is actually in the relationships that you're in. So, for instance, a child will have to submit to a master. No problems. Uh, a, interestingly enough, a husband who's a slave will have to do sub- submitting, won't he? To who? Good, to his master. So the man here will definitely have to do submitting, right? But what it's saying is, the nature of the relationships, the submitting is asked in that direction, but there's reciprocal obligation. So throughout, we see all sorts of beautiful one another's that every Christian person has to do. Uh, We're all members of one body, and so uh, we see time and time again the kind of nature of love that we're to have. And so we're, if you look in the, the uh, the passage we looked at just a little while ago, We're we're to speak to one another. Have a look at uh, chapter 5, verse 19. We're to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father. Everyone's to do that. Everyone is to do that. And so there are a whole lot of reciprocal arrangements. And it's not that we, we won't see slaves being cared for by their masters, parents being cared for by their children, or husbands being cared for by their wives. All of that will happen It's just that the the actual word submit to one another, the idea is in your relating, relate in ways that are submissive in the structure that exists. So I want to say this, mutual service and love are absolutely requested, but they're differing for different roles. So why isn't that still dangerous for women though? Well, I think the reason is because the picture that is set before us this morning is absolutely glorious. Is absolutely glorious. Once Paul kind of gets a full head of steam, you'll actually see it in verse 32. Uh, If you have a look with me at 5.32, he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What he's going to do is lift our eyes up. He's saying, I'm going to talk to you about marital relationships. But in order to understand them, what I want to do is lift your eyes up to see how Jesus relates to the church. And that is glorious. That is magnificent. It is servant-hearted. And if you sit your focus there, you'll make better sense of this here. The reason that it's not dangerous is because the example is extraordinarily sacrificial and beautiful. So how has Jesus loved the church? How has he loved the church? Well, we can see it all the way through this passage. Have a look with me at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. So the first way Christ loved the church is he saved it. Secondly, he gave himself up for us in verse 25. Then it says he washes us with water through the word. Then it says he makes us blameless. Then it says he feeds and cares for us. And lastly, it says he makes us his body. Why is it awesome to have Jesus as the picture for marriage? Because he absolutely poured himself out for the church. Let's see how that's applied. Let's see how that's applied. Uh, Does anyone remember what this is? 
Uh, do you, you remember one of these, don't you? Uh, what this didn't have, uh, that almost every uh, device these days have, is a speakerphone. I'm always intrigued as I go around uh, shopping centres now. People are holding their phones out here talking to people. Have you seen this? On speakerphone? Have you, if you haven't observed this? If you haven't, it's out there. It's really happening. It's amazing. Uh, what's the thing with this is only one person can speak to one person. There's no conference call here, is there? You pick that thing up and you have to stick it to your ear in order to hear and you have to have your mouthpiece here in order to get it. It's addressed to one person. And you have to go, Mom, I've got the phone. Do you want to come, do you want to come downstairs and get the phone? Amazing but true. So there's only one person who's being addressed at a time. I actually think that's incredibly helpful to think about for our passage here today. So have a look with me. We're going to dive into looking at what wives are asked to do in verse 22. It says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as to the Lord. Submit yourselves to the husband as to the Lord. And immediately the church empties and we go, oh, we don't want to do that. So what, what's, what, what do I observe here? I want, to, I want to just observe something straight off the bat. I think this is incredibly important. And if you haven't heard this, you're going to mess it up. There's only one person on the receiving end of this phone call from God. It's for wives to offer. It is not for husbands to demand. Wives, submit to your husbands, is not addressed to husbands. It is addressed to wives. Husbands, you need to know you cannot use this this verse on your wife. It's not for you. It is for her. For wives to offer, not for husbands to demand. Second thing we see here, uh, we're going to look at verse 23 here. What I wanted to observe was, uh, I haven't met too many uh, headless bodies. Uh, neither have I met too many bodiless heads. They don't tend to live very long. There tends to be a pretty nice correlation between heads and bodies. So if you're a living being, your head and your body will be connected. In fact, one can't get by pretty much without the other. That's going to be very important as we look at verse 23. And uh, 24. So wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I, I think that we get so stuck here with the head bit that we fail to notice the body bit. So when I hear head, I think authority, and I think power and position, and I think inferiority, and that that just naturally happens to me. And when you add the word submit in as well, what we have is this hierarchical, ruley kind of thing happening straight away. The, The picture here, however, is quite different. It's actually as Christ is the head of the body. So how was Jesus being the head expressed to his body? What did he do for her? Well, He expressed it by saving her, by laying down his life for her. What did it mean for him to be the head, to absolutely give everything for the body? The second thing I I want to observe here, the church's submission is therefore willing. So uh, the wife is to submit to the husband as the, as the, as, where is it? 
As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. So how should the church submit to Christ? Resentfully, stubbornly, out of a sense of obligation. No. Joyfully, wholeheartedly, trustingly, because in the analogy, Jesus is the saviour. He's a head you can entrust yourself to because he has given everything for you. The church's submission is therefore willing. It's worth noting in the analogy, in the heavenly picture, our head always deeply loved his body. And so the logic flows, therefore submission is, to, is ideally viewed joyfully. We just we can't get that in our heads. Our heads. We can't get that in our heads, right? So submit just sounds like a terrible obligation. What it's saying here is, like the church submits to Christ, wives, offer your submission to your husband. Joyfully, wholeheartedly, trustingly, because the model is he deeply loves you and will give himself up for you. Sure. Easy, right? But what about the bloke? What's he got to do? I think this is the natural question. So if you're going to ask that of women, what on earth are you going to ask of men? Uh, this, I, I really like this photo because uh, it's got a bridge in it. Uh, can anyone tell what bridge that is? Someone call it out? Golden Gate. Okay, fantastic. It was apparently on the 75th anniversary of the Golden Gate Bridge. They made a model of it, strung it across the stage, had the band behind it, beautiful, and apparently it actually was a musical instrument, so you could... Uh, they were little xylophone pieces on the side, and so you could play it. Anyway, be that as it may. Uh, it's a model of something far more glorious. Has anyone seen the Golden Gate Bridge? One person. And two. Okay. Apparently it's quite large. That's what I've heard. Uh, it's a little bit bigger than this. It's the same shape as this, right? But far, far more impressive. This is a miniature representation of something much grander, more awesome, and mighty. Again, that's going to be really helpful for us. Have a look at uh, 25, verses 25 to 27. Here you go, husbands, buckle yourselves in. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing through water, uh, with water through the word. And to present it to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's a beautiful model going on here. Men, husbands, you are to willingly come second in your marriage. Come second. Put yourself second. Why? just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does it mean for him to give himself up for her? To choose to lay aside his rights in order to serve her. That's what he did. If you're in a demanding position where you say, I need you to, for me, demanding, you are in no way modelling the ultimate example, which is Christ. Can you see this? In the same way is marriage is a model of the glorious reality of Christ in the church. What are you supposed to do, men? You are supposed to 
willingly place your needs second in your relationship. Sound easy to do? I don't think so. Secondly, in verse 26 we see husbands, it says, to make her holy, cleansing her with washing with water through the word. That's what Jesus did. What are we to do, husbands? You're to seek the holiness of your wife. You can, you can only begin to imagine what things that rules out for husbands doing. If you're seeking what's best for her, if you're seeking to make her holy, what would you do for her? How would you love her? Thirdly, in verse 27, it says, And to present it to himself as a radiant church without wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. It's not about making sure your, uh, your wife has a great skincare regime, in case you're wondering. What it is about is making her best your priority. My thing, the reason I'm doing this is to love my wife, to seek what is best for her before me. Because that's what Jesus did, to death on the cross. So when you go, I've got no time for that, I can't fit this into my life. How far are we from the model? How much do we mess up on earth the, 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 the Golden Gate Bridge model of the, the heavenly reality? How distorted does it look? When we say, I haven't got time with that, I won't lay my life down for that. Husbands, you have a huge call here. Paul continues, I assume because husbands are slower than wives. He's got a double bunger for the husbands. Uh, This guy looks fit, doesn't he? Uh, How are we doing being fit, Uh, husbands here? Don't all cry out once, you don't have to, don't worry. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Uh, Are you looking after yourself? Isaac, you're nodding. Good boy, I'm pleased to hear that you are. When you become a husband, that will be a really good start. Are you looking after yourself? If the answer to that is no, this next bit actually breaks down. And I actually think, funnily enough, it's actually really interesting. Uh, Paul's about to make a really strong point, and it's actually predicated on the fact that you as a guy and a husband are actually looking after yourself. And if you've decided, as I actually think a, major, a majority of Australian men are, if you've decided that you're not looking after yourself, that you won't go to the doctor, that you won't care for yourself until you're utterly broken down, funnily enough, the logic of what Paul's about to say here won't work. Have a, have a look with me at, uh, at verses 28 to 30. Uh, what does he say here? Uh, For we are members of his body. Uh, Sorry, no, uh, verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. See how this works? Uh, The logic is no one would ever be stupid enough to neglect their own body. And you're joined together with your wife... And so to love your wife is to love yourself. So because you'd never neglect your body, your wife would never be neglected. I think that's so dangerous for Australian men because I think we're just rubbish at looking after ourselves. Can you see how that's broken? Some of you are nodding, mostly women, which is interesting to note. The call here is you must care for her as you care for yourself. Think of what this says to selfish men. 
you aren't first. In fact, to truly love yourself is to love her first. Care for her as you care for yourself. And I would say to men, care for her better than you care for yourself. Verse 30, the encouragement is we're to care for her like Jesus does for his body. Jesus cares for his body. He feeds it, he sustains it, he looks after it. And we are members of his body, so our our aim is to be looking after our wives with as much care and concern as Jesus looks after the church. Is that a low or a high standard? I'm just going to go for some feedback here. You can put a hand up like that if it's a high standard. You can put a hand down like that if you think it's a low standard. Is that a high standard? Low standard? Right, not so many. I just want to be 100% clear. The analogy here is incredibly weighty men. There just is no place for so much behaviour that goes on. Why would you do it? Because you're committed to her and God has made you one. Just as we are one body in Christ, so the husband and the wife are made one. Why would you care for her as you care for yourself? Because you are one. You're committed and you have been united by God. So why is there an Old Testament quote here now then? Uh, Have a look with me. We're going to quickly just see my Bible overview here. Old Testament, New Testament. He quotes the stuff that we heard from our reading in Genesis. So if we kind of zoom in a little bit here, this quote comes from Genesis. Where did we hear it from? Chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's before what? Have a look at that big orange world there. It's before the fall. It's before sin ruins relationships between people and between people and God and between people and the world around them. This command comes at the absolute start of the world before sin has come into the world. And so we see uh, this quote in verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Why quote that there? This is absolutely radical, I think. I think what he's saying is that the quote from Genesis is actually helping us understand Jesus. That marriage is ultimately for explaining the unity of Christ and the church. So he's saying, I've given you marriage, something earthly, that you might have an idea of how glorious the heavenly reality is. Way back in Genesis, God is setting us up. Just as the husband and wife become one flesh, so too you will come to learn Christ and his church become one. If that's the case, I think it makes better sense of verse 32. He says, this is a profound mystery, verse 32, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Oh, that's really helpful. The mystery is, how can we be united to Christ? And he's saying the way you'll understand that is in small part by seeing the way a husband is united to a wife. Incidentally, I like this united picture here. Uh, Travelling on a Sydney ferry one day, day off. My foot, my wife's foot. And I just went, I need to take that picture. There's a little picture of us being united. Very nice. Why is it a profound mystery? It's a profound mystery because it unites. It's a profound mystery because it bears witness to the heavenly reality which stands behind it of Christ and the church. So he gets very practical. Have a look with me at verse 33. 
However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's put this together. Husbands, what do you need to do? You need to love your wives. The essence of that is service. Wives, what do you need to do? You need to respect your husbands, which is an outworking of submission. Respect is the wheels on the ground of submission. I don't think we should actually go around looking for submission. I think we should look for the beautiful act of respect. And so when he condenses it down here, he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, I reckon that's a word that everyone, everywhere, should hear and should enjoy. Yes? If you can find me a marriage relationship outside of this building that wouldn't think that husbands loving wives and that wives respecting husbands isn't good news, then I reckon there's something profoundly wrong with that relationship. This isn't a hard, terrible, or difficult word. It's actually exhorting something that when we see it, we'll celebrate, won't we? I think so. So what have we seen? Well, we've seen that the picture, the heavenly picture, is glorious. We've seen that the earthly one is a model of the heavenly, a model based on the cross, where Jesus gave everything for his bride, the church. We've seen that there are specific calls. Wife, you don't get to say to your husband, husband, you need to get on with this service thing. Husbands, you don't get to say to your wives, you need to get on with the submission thing. Each of you has your own call, and you need to pick up the phone and answer it. We see something radical. There's a radical connection between what headship is and what the body is. They're not fighting against each other. They're bound together. We've seen that it's creational, that God put it in place before there was sin in the world, and we've seen that it's good. I want to add two more things. Marriage in this part of Ephesians is precious and it is primary. It's before the parental relationship. It's before the slave-master relationship. Paul says marriage is precious and it's primary because it models Jesus and the church. The second thing I want to say, the only safe context for submission, for service, is commitment. Why would I pour myself out sacrificially for someone who will take off? Men. Women, why would I dare to honour, respect, seek before myself someone who can take off tomorrow? Women. Why would we do it? And so the two will become flat, one flesh is we are united in Christ by him, by promise and commitment, and that is the context for offering willingly submission and offering willingly service because we're bonded in matrimony. So let's get practical before I open up with some questions. Can I just say, if, if, uh, if there are any guys here wondering, I, I want to know how to be head of my household. Can I say be first to apologize? Oh, that's easy. Give me a really hard one. Rubbish. If you're not right, you take the lead. You want to show headship in your relationship? You get on your knees and you beg forgiveness from your wife. Ladies, respectful speech. Use the power of your words, your particular gifting and skill. Use the power of your words 
to honor your husband. Not belittle him, not cut him down, not undermine him to relatives, friends, behind his back. Use your words to build him up. Respectful speech. If you're single today, I want to encourage you to esteem and not demean marriage. You've heard the old, uh, the old line, someone's celebrating their anniversary and someone goes, you get shorter for murder. I hate that stuff. I absolutely hate it. If you're single today, I want you to esteem the beautiful institution of marriage and not demean it. Men, I want you to make it safe for your wives to submit. That's your responsibility. Women, I want you to make it a joy for your man to serve you. If there's trouble, men, I want you to take a lead in compromising. Not enforcing your will. Certainly not turning to this passage and telling your wife she has to get with your program. You take the lead on compromising and figuring it out. Yeah, but what about... Okay, that's Q&A time. Has anyone got any questions? I'm sure you will. Yeah, that's great. I need to be absolutely explicit. There is no requirement to submit in a domestic violence situation. I need to say that explicitly. No, there is absolutely no accept, acceptance for that at all in this church. Uh, if we one day fly a white ribbon from the top of that tower out there, if I get a big enough one, we'll do it. There is no place for that. Not verbally, absolutely never physically. Kathy's raised a good point, though. What if the woman is able to bear that for their sake? They, they reckon they can hang in there. What about when it comes to their kids and they find their kids compromised? Is that, that right? So, Yeah, no, that's good. So, so again, I'd say here, so we've got this glorious ideal, don't we? But we crash into this sinful reality, right? And, and Kathy's pointing it out. We're going to have families where we don't do everything brilliantly. In fact, we mess stuff up a lot. And, and all I'd say to your husbands, uh, particularly on this topic... When we disagree, let's say it's on a matter of parenting. When we disagree, how would it be that Christ would be your model in working out what you should do with your kids in your, in your home? Well, clearly you'd just impose your will on them, wouldn't you? So what I want to exhort you husbands, where you're at odds, rather than waiting for your wife to give up because you know that's her job. Terrible, horrible. I don't, I don't have that picture at all. Get it right. Search out, understand, figure out how to love and serve your wife in a way that is mutually beneficial. Do you know why? It'll make for a better marriage. Figure it out together. Compromise. Both of you might be wrong. Uh, I think that's helpful. Uh, someone else. You can ask for a friend. Sure. So uh, I think Joy's saying, uh, if my husband had died for me beforehand, it would be a lot easier for me to offer my submission. Yeah? Uh, because, because, it, because it's right, isn't it? So the analogy works really well. Of course I'm going to submit, submit myself to Christ. He always loved me. He sacrificially died for me before I got to serve him. So yes, I'm going to submit to him. Then how does the analogy work? Submit to your husband as the, as, Christ, as the church does to Christ. Yeah, it's a problem, isn't it? Uh, I think the idea is 
what is it, what's the nature of the way the wife offers her submission that can be paralleled to the church rather than it will always feel like our salvation submission? I think that's the issue. So how should the church submit to Christ? Offering it willingly, joyfully for their mutual good. Uh, how does it work in practice when my husband might be a jerk? Uh, I think the answer there from 1 Peter 3, if you want to look it up, is continue to do that so that he might be won over by the beauty and purity of your life. I think that's the, that's the answer from 1 Peter 3. Someone else? So what's my advice to couples who are struggling, who are saying, I want to get out? I, I think my, my, my first response would be, gee, we have to love people in that situation and not be self-righteous, don't we? I think if your marriage is having a good period, uh, it can be very easy to say, oh, look, you just need to hang in there and suck it up. That's hardly helpful. Uh, I think what you want to do is try and journey in prayer with them and say, what, what's precious enough to have made you commit in the first place? What promises have you made before God? Can we ask together that God would sustain us? And what help can we get for you to start working in a way that might draw your marriage towards something where you can do your submission relating well. Um, my, my, my answers would be start reading something. I've got, um, I've got three books here today, uh, which I'll leave up the back. You can have a look. I put them in the newsletter this week. Please buy some. They're really good. Start reading something. It'll help. It'll show you where a way forward is. And without being trite, come along. Seek some help from some people who do this stuff really well. Um, I'm conscious that I haven't answered that as well as I should, Tim, but uh, prayerfully, compassionately, with assistance from outside would be my, my answer. Uh, I'm going to finish on this note because I'm aware that time is getting long. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, here's where we finish. However, each of you must love his wife as, as he loves himself, and the wife must love and respect, uh, must respect her husband. Uh, it's not dangerous in this light because the object is glorious, and I want to ask that God would help us Lord Jesus, please assist us in the fallen brokenness of our world to love in a way that bears witness to Jesus and his awesome pouring out of his life for the church. Forgive us where we stuff this up. Help lots of people to take advantage of the help that's coming up soon. And I pray you'd sustain the marriages in this church that they might bear witness to Jesus. I ask it for his sake. Amen.